0: You're listening to The Real Well Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. Buying your first rental property may seem like a monumental task. You often have to get out of your comfort zone and try something new and learn as you go. It's even more difficult if your first properties are out of state. I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Well Show. So what does it take to pull the trigger on a plan to buy rentals many, many miles from where you live? How do you manage your properties if you don't live nearby? How do you protect yourself from bad tenants? And how do you deal with issues like storms and flooding? Our guest today is based in California, but he took the leap and has become a long-distance landlord with properties in four different markets. He's here to share his story and some of the most important things he's learned along the way. Alec, welcome to the Real well show
1: Thank you I'm happy to be here
0: I really appreciate you being here and sharing your experience. How did you get started as a real estate investor and why?
1: I would say it was more accidental so um, when we first bought our first property it was for us to live in and then we were looking for a new place and decided to um, rent out the old one and that's essentially how we got started and then as we, Got comfortable with being a landlord. We started thinking about okay, why don't we just expand? Look at other opportunities where we can invest. I live in the Bay Area, so it's kind of next to impossible to find something that is financially viable in this area. Right. Which is uh, when I started looking like out of state, and came across Real Wealth. And I think it's uh, yeah. I think I joined Real Wealth about a year and a half ago, and I really like the concept and the network and. The way you guys like vet the providers and everything else and got comfortable with that. And within the first six months, I started buying investment properties in Texas, Florida and Michigan. And I currently have five properties through RealWealth. And um, it's been a really good journey so far. So I've really enjoyed it.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Let's go back to when you turned your home into a rental property. What were some of the lessons you learned from that experience? Because I, I don't, I mean, did you have a guide or did you just guess?
1: No, it was pretty much guesswork. <laughs> we, looked, we looked up stuff uh, online. So we kind of like uh, figured out like how the rental contract is to look like and work ourselves through that process. We didn't have a property manager as well because the property was local to us. So essentially we were doing everything kind of by ourselves and learning on the way. And I think that was probably one of the, for me, looking back, that was probably one of the positive experiences because that helped me kind of qualify for future investments, like what I should be looking out for and things that went wrong for us. So like, for example, like tenants calling you in the middle of the night saying uh, things are not working or they have like uh, water leaking somewhere. And then you have to go figure out how you uh, <laughs> find a plumber that late at night <laughs> Right. Come fix issues or like the HVAC stuff and things like that. So it it just helped us get more comfortable and be more prepared as we were becoming more like professional investors, if you want to put it that way. Yes.
0: Yeah, so I'm guessing you did not have a property manager. You were you were the property manager.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: And that's, that's usually what people hear when they think being a landlord is that you're going to get woken up in the middle of the night to fix things you don't know how to fix, or you got to find someone who will, and it just doesn't seem worth the time and energy. And that's, that's what Rich and I did on our first rental is, you know, we d- <laughs> we just didn't know what we were doing and didn't know how to screen people and always fell for their excuses as to why the, the rent was late.
1: Yeah. I think we were lucky with the tenants in a way because the tenants were um, good, and we did some like some checks, background checks, and everything else. But you cannot ever avoid all the like property management issues you have to deal with, right? And it always happens at a time when you are busy with something else. So it's, <laughs> it's uh, just that experience that you go through to then kind of think through a thing like, okay, how do I? Still be a landlord, but not have to deal with that kind of like that side of the like the management of uh, of a property, right?
0: And, and that's such an eye-opening moment, isn't it? It's it's kind of like the moment that if you're a solo entrepreneur and you're doing everything, and then suddenly you realize you can have somebody else do some of these things. I, I have a friend, my friend Tamara, who runs uh, Encore Gymnastics in Walnut Creek. She was everything when she started. She was the janitor and the you know the receptionist. All of a sudden, you know, she started coaching with my husband Rich, and he said, "You know, you don't have to do everything. You can hire a janitor." (laughs) It was just like an (laughs) eye-opening moment. It was the same with real estate. You realize someone else can take that call in the middle of the night. So, how has that transformed the experience for you to basically be treating it more like a business and and hire people to do the work?
1: I think. What has really changed is getting us comfortable with investing out of state. Right, that was one because we were initially looking only like California, even like in the Bay Area. So clearly, financials on one side didn't work. But also, we we're like, even if we buy in the Bay Area, we want to get somebody to do the work for us. Mm-hmm. And again, that adds additional costs and financially doesn't make sense. So that kind of brought us comfortable saying like, why don't we just look out of state and if you're going to outsource it, let's just outsource it properly and get us comfortable with the team that is going to help us. Right? And that was kind of step one for me to look out, uh, look for um, who would be the best <laughs> uh, solution provider here. And it took me a while to come across real wealth. I talked to a whole bunch of other people, talked to providers directly as well. Um, But unless you are really there and talk to them and I didn't unfortunately at the beginning, I didn't have the time to go out and meet people in person, but just like getting in touch with the real world, talking to um, doing the, the initial session, getting comfortable with that, attending a few live events, seeing you in person and also just meeting like other investors in the room gave me the comfort level to say I'm willing to take the next step and just invest through the network. And then I also went out after, like, with the first property that I bought in Houston, I actually flew out and met the team in Houston, got really comfortable with the way they were managing, how they acquired the properties. They showed me a whole bunch of, like, real live uh, properties I could go and visit. And that basically just gave me the comfort level to say, yes, this is the right thing to do. The financials make sense. Uh, Let's just go for it. And that's how I got started. And then... I was like, why stop at one? Let's just, uh, <laughs> as long as I have the down payment for uh, for the mortgage, uh, let's just keep acquiring until I until
0: you run yeah, out of money. Until I
1: run cash. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: right. Or you get your 10 loans, right?
1: Yes. So I'm getting close to capping out now, but um, I, I, I think I'm going to probably acquire another two properties, hopefully by the end of this year, and then I'm capped at the 10. And then the question becomes, what is the next step? But right now, I'm still working towards. Capping myself to the 10 properties.
0: Yeah, we have another investor who was on one of our investor panels at our live event who got to that point where she was over the 10. She'd got her 10 Fannie Freddie investor loans and her husband had gotten the 10 and they were maxed out. But they really wanted to buy more properties. And I think, in fact, she was in the middle of a 1031. So she desperately went to friends and family and said, I'll borrow it for 6% from your IRA. You can be secured to the property, you know. and she has had money flowing in since then because once you've established yourself as knowing what you're doing and once you get to those 10 properties and max out your loans you become a more trustworthy person, right? Yeah. For others and anyway, that's that's kind of the next step. What one of my early mentors said to me when Rich and I had reached our max and spent all the money we had on investment properties, he said, "Aha, now you're a real investor. <laughs> you got to find the money." <laughs> so, Exactly. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, so I just want to go back to Houston because it makes me sad. I have a very close friend who had a big 1031 exchange, and she just couldn't get over that fear of investing out of state. Uh, So even though she talked to the different people, specifically Houston, because she's from Texas, I thought she'd like that market. She still couldn't Mm -hmm. pull the trigger. She ended up buying a rental property, a condo in in Hollywood. She, She paid almost $2 million for it. And um, and it, it's just been a nightmare for her. She, she just can't, I, I think she's getting maybe four or $5,000 in rent and there's all these problems and it needs to be fixed And these landlord laws. So I, again, like, what did it take for you? I think you already said it, but just, you know, to get over that and just pull the trigger and do it.
1: I think the key thing for me was, um, because Houston was the first one to really fly out and meet the people in person. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to them over the phone. I had seen all the financials. I'd seen the paperwork. But really, I think going out there and meeting the team, I think that made the difference for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point.
1: Yeah. And I, I guess the other thing that I got comfortable with early on was uh, real wealth, like the vetting and everything you did. So like, what helped me really was like I was working with a provider that I could trust. And then once I flew out there and met them in person, I was like, yes, this validates what I'd heard through Real World and all the financials that I'd seen and the people are trustworthy. Right. So I, I was willing to part my cash because I trusted the team.
0: I can't emphasize enough the importance of that. I mean when Rich and I started, we we got word from Robert Kiyosaki on the show in two thousand five that he was buying in Texas. So we went over and we really dove in and, and felt that we understood the neighborhood and the team. And, and could, you know, could, again, feel that kind of confidence. It's hard to invest in something you don't understand. But when you go and you walk the streets and you look at the properties and walk through them and talk to the neighbors and talk to the property managers, it's it's a totally different deal. So yeah, really great point. And then after that, it's a little easier to buy sight unseen because you've already basically, I mean, all, pretty much at that point, all the houses look the same, you
1: know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know how the process works. You trust the network. So, so yeah, exactly. I think once you get past that first hurdle, the next few become pretty easy at that point because, yeah, I literally, after and I actually didn't fly out to any of the other properties to see them before purchasing. I just trusted their inspection reports, all the other pictures and files I got from the teams, purely because talking to them over the phone gave me enough comfort. And knowing that I had the recourse through um, real wealth, if anything went wrong, I could always look for advice uh, from the network and from the investment counselor. So that that kind of helped me.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And I want, really want to emphasize that we can only vet our affiliates based on what they've done thus far, you know, what their testimonials are, you know, the members that have bought from them. And But you still got to do your due diligence. Like you said, you've got to get your inspection reports, get your appraisals look at the rental comps, you know, go online and just find out about the crime in the area. Citydata.com gives an enormous amount of information. So, you know, you you, trusting is great and it helps, but I'm sure you're also very much doing your due diligence on these properties.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I spend probably a few hours on each property outside of doing all the paperwork and everything else, just doing like online research, as you said, like rental comps, looking at like Statistics like population, income, job growth, everything that you guys emphasize as well in your uh, in your events. So just going through all that, getting myself comfortable with the neighborhoods, the area I was investing in, and then really looking at the properties and the financials for the properties.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Ah, uh, all right. So, what was your next city that you chose after Houston?
1: After Houston, I actually went and invested in Detroit. That was my next investment. And that was, I think at that time, it had one of the highest cash flows. Property values were still kind of low. It was just about to start picking up. So it kind of made sense from that standpoint. So yeah, I bought a couple of properties in Detroit. And that, that was kind of my next step. It was like high cash flowing markets, but also with the potential for appreciation similar to Houston.
0: And have you seen the values go up in Detroit?
1: Yes, they have definitely gone up over the last uh, ten months or so.
0: Wow, awesome! And the cash flow is what you thought it would be?
1: Yes, I think on average it is like as usual. There, there are uh, months where it doesn't quite come in with the average, but yeah, yeah, on average it is to my expectations.
0: Okay, and then it looks like after that you decided to get some more growth properties in the
1: Florida area. Yes, so then I moved to. Tampa and uh, Jacksonville. So yeah, so two properties in Florida again. My strategy is kind of similar, like I'm looking for cash flow, but also growth opportunities. So all those markets kind of fit the bill. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and again, the process was kind of similar. So it was kind of easy to get to that stage.
0: How many properties do you say you have now?
1: So five through Real Wealth. And then I have a couple that I had already purchased, as I said, like a while ago. So it takes me about two so eight mortgages, and uh, so I have two more that I can acquire before I tap out at the ten.
0: Oh, where do you think you'll get those two? Which market?
1: Good question. I, I haven't quite <laughs> figured that out yet. So I think uh, I'm kind of between uh, going back to Florida, so either Jacksonville, I, uh, I I really like the Jacksonville market, or I'm thinking of uh, going back to Houston. But Houston has appreciated quite a bit, so I'm. At this point, not sure if I should go back there or just stick with Florida at this point. So I'm still undecided, which is why I'm waiting Mm -hmm. past summer to make the decision. Do you
0: thus far have a a favorite between Houston, Detroit, Tampa and Jacksonville, the the four markets that you're in? Is there one that is a standout?
1: Um, No, I think I like all of them equally, which is why I'm Kind of undecided where I where I <laughs> want to acquire the next one, <laughs> right? Right? It's because they have all been performing to my expectations, and the teams have all been pretty good to work with. I think I my slight favorite is Houston, just working with the team there, mm-hmm. and also because probably it was the first one I, I and I met them in person. But I think it's probably going to be between Jacksonville and Houston. I think at this one.
0: Okay. So, what are some of the lessons you learned? I'm sure it wasn't all just easy. So, yeah, what what are some of the things you've learned along the way?
1: I think the biggest one is expect the unexpected. Like, no matter how much you run the financials, how much you look online, you are really relying on the team on the ground in terms of tenant selection and things that can go wrong there. In terms of property management, I think that was the other big one and things that can go wrong there. So, if I Like going back to tenant selection, right? Again, this is dealt with by the property management team. So really not like, this is why I took a step back because I didn't want to deal with that stuff. But you're really hoping that you find a right tenant who treats the property well, who is paying the rent on time, and hopefully who will stay in the property longer term so they extend beyond, let's say, one year lease, right? And, but I've had experiences where that has not worked out. So that, like, we have had times where on one of the properties, the tenant would be paying late or they couldn't get the rent payment, like, to the full amount. So they would make partial payments and things like that. So just being ready to not panic at that moment, saying, like, oh shit, everything is going wrong. What did I do? Why did I invest? Like, just being able to calm yourself down and be able to deal with that. And the financial impact of it. So, always having some reserves is, I think, the biggest thing for me is like when things like this come up, I know that I have enough reserves on the side to be able to cover it for a short period of time. And which similarly goes for um, maintenance as well, right? Um, there's always something happening, especially when you have a portfolio of uh, properties. There's always one property where, which may end up having an issue in the month. And being able to deal with that is, I think, key. So, I think those. Who I think are one of the things that I would be like, you can plan for all the things you want, but you need to be ready for things that you have not planned for as well and be just embrace it and deal with it.
0: Such great advice and make sure that you factored it in. Like you said, have the reserves ready because it probably won't go according to plan. You know, it just that's how it is. Yeah. And- uh, uh, some properties do. I have a couple of properties that I, I mean, nothing has gone wrong I, for five years. These people just keep paying rent and it never, never a repair, nothing. But then there's other properties where there's repairs in the first few months. Now <laughs> sometimes the the affiliates will cover that. You know, if there's a, a a guarantee for the first three months, but at least a
1: yeah the warranty period
0: the warranty. Yeah. Yeah, if they have the three month warranty, they might cover it. But let's say it happens on the fourth month, you know? So having those reserves set aside, I usually recommend $5,000 per property. Just put it in a bank account and just consider it business income, a slush fund that, like any business, you'd need a slush fund. There's things that happen. And boy, does that helps reduce the stress tremendously when you look at it that way.
1: Yeah, exactly. And even if you have, like, even when you're acquiring the property and you have done all the inspections and they all come in like, yeah, everything passed, right? And on one of my properties, I think it was one of the Jacksonville ones. The inspection came in fine. And then within the first six months, the water pipe broke. Like luckily not in the property, but it was outside, so to the main. So literally somebody had to go in, dig out the front yard, put a new pipe in, replace it and things like that. And at that point, I could have just said like, oh, why did I make such a bad decision in buying the property? Or it's just like, it happens. And then... Hopefully, it's uh, one time, and then once you fix it, then everything is fine, and you're back to normal.
0: Yeah, exactly. Okay, what about insurance and property taxes? Because you know, obviously, Houston has high property taxes and insurance, and Florida can um, have some high insurance as well. So, how how has that been for you, and is that affecting cash flow?
1: Actually, interestingly, the one area that I got caught out with insurance was Detroit. So, I think initially. With the provider recommended insurer. I got a good deal, and then in year two, they increased the insurance by like 40%. Oh, so, oh my gosh. Uh, and apparently it was based on the markets, and they said it was the first-year discount, which they disclosed when I was getting the insurance and blah, blah. So um, wow! So I, again, this is again where I think then you just have to like shop around, mm-hmm. call up other people. Mm-hmm. I, I And then I got a kind of a good deal, but it was not back to the same level. So, yeah, definitely plan for property tax increases, clearly, but also like insurance increases over time. So luckily, I had enough buffer there to be able to cover it. But yeah, I kind of, when I run my financials, I kind of plan for like increases over time so that I've kind of played out well. But again, there are always surprises where things like that happen and clearly it doesn't make your financials look good (laughs) at that point.
0: Yeah, hopefully uh, rents continue to rise with the rising property taxes. Now, you know, there that may be changing in Texas. I just did a news story on uh, my real estate news podcast about that. So, if if you haven't listened to that, check it out. They may be stabilizing property taxes in Texas because they're seeing Oh, well,
1: yeah, could, yeah.
0: Yeah. They're seeing values rise and a lot of the original homeowners are saying, "Wait a minute, we don't want to keep <laughs> paying higher taxes. This isn't fair." Kind of like what happened in California. so uh, yeah. there is a there is a possibility that that will change. but anyway, we are out of time. but Alec, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom here with me on the Real well show.
1: No, thank you for um, taking the time to talk to me as well.
0: And thank you for joining me here on the Real Well show. If you're new to investing, save the date for September 21st in San Francisco and September 22nd in LA, where we'll be going over the ins and outs of investing in rental property out of state. It's a full day event where we'll be talking about tax benefits, how to vet property management, asset protection, and much, much more. You can check that out at realwealthshow.com. Have a wonderful rest of your week and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.